guys. And welcome to this week's Project MK Gotcha. This is your host, Carrie. And the scrappy sidekick, Chris. Oh, give yourself a little bit more credit than that scrappy sidekick. Trusty sidekick. Trusty, yeah, that's a good one. Um, let's see. So Halloween has passed. I'm very sad that spooky season is over. I hope everybody had a safe Halloween. I didn't do a fucking thing because I'm old as shit. I tried. I attempted to go out and I failed. But I did get drunk. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, me and Alex (laughs) tried to go out and see the Joker and it was sold out. And so we got tickets for like the next showing and like three hours after that. But then we just drank a bottle of champagne, and I was like, I don't want to go. Isn't the Joker, like, actually kind of depressing? It's kind of like, uh, look into, like, mental illness. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I have no idea. I know it's, like, his origin story, so it's not, like, blow me up, boom, boom, bang. Like, how, like, the Dark Knight and stuff was. Like, it's definitely not as, like, action-cheesy-packed. I don't Uh, know. I don't know. My Facebook, everyone gave me, like, an artsy... Like, 10 paragraph review of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I haven't seen it, so I don't I don't really know, but I heard that uh, Joaquin or whatever. Joaquin like, Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, he, like, did legitimate research and, like, reached out to people with those, like, ailments or, like, mental disorders to, like, prep for the role. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing, but, like, he, there's something about, like, compulsive laughing or something. And so he reached out to people that actually had the disease to, like, prep for the role. But uh, I didn't even know that was a real thing. Yeah, I feel like the premise is he has, like, PTSD. Like, there's a fan theory that Heath Ledger's Joker was, like, a former soldier. Like, that's why he knew how to handle a gun. And, like, he had PTSD and he's kind of crazy. And then you have Jared, Leto, Jared Leto's Joker... Ah, <sighs> uh, that was so like I was like with everybody that has such a hard on for him, and I was like blah blah, and like overall I didn't hate that movie. What was it called? Suicide Squad. Yeah, didn't hate it. It won like but, an Oscar for like costumes or makeup. Yeah, yeah. And the soundtrack wasn't bad. They had like fucking Skrillex and Rick Ross and some other white rapper that I can't think of his name. Jeezy, I think his name is or something like that. Lil Xan. Lil Windex. Love Lil Windex. Lil Xan was not on that. Lil Xan, the video of him pulling a gun on some dude talking shit to him at the gas station is probably one of my all-time favorite, like, celebrity meltdown moments. Because he just, like, his voice is, like, squeaking. Like, he's getting mad, but he's, like, so young. (laughs) And then he's, like, pulling out a gun, so he just looks like this ridiculous, like, skinny little 14-year-old boy. Like, waving a gun at, like, a grown-ass man. Like, the guy that's videotaping all this is, like, a grown-ass man. Oh, the guy who's, like, getting yelled at is videotaping him as... So he was, like, I mean, to to be fair, the guy instigated the whole thing, the old guy. But he, like, saw him at a gas station and was, like, fuck you for saying Tupac sucks or something like that. And he just, like, has a fucking, like, temper tantrum and is, like, waving a gun. It's like, get away! for me get out of here it's really great though you should really look it up it's really good duly noted duly noted any hoosers so the case that we're getting into this week uh i just want to put 
put a little disclaimer. Um, this is a fucking bummer episode. Um, there's a lot of mention of rape and sexual assault. But if you're here for the true crime party, I feel like you kind of already know that. But, I mean, this one is pretty brutal. Um, this is actually one from, like, our old stomping grounds that is technically a historic case. Um, mm. So this is the case of the South Side Strangler. Um, there's a guy who... And you're afraid to South Side of Richmond, South Virginia. South Side, Richmond. Shout out to Richmond and Arlington. Yeah, VCU, go Rams. VCU. Oh, actually, one of his victims was a doctor at MCD. But I'll go into that. <sighs> so anyway, the reason that this is, like, such an important case and, like, why I was so shocked I didn't really know it is it's the actual first murder conviction in the United States based off of DNA evidence. Um, so the, the very first case ever that happened with DNA evidence, uh, that linked, uh, rapist and a murderer to a case was in England in 1984. And then the following year, all this stuff happened. And so this was the first case in the United States where somebody was actually, one person was exonerated because of DNA evidence. And then the other person was convicted due to DNA evidence. So it's a pretty historical case. I had never heard of it. It was pretty crazy. Actually, like... Now that I look back, there was like a really awesome like hardcore punk band in Richmond called I don't think they're together together anymore, but they were called the Southside Stranglers. I had no idea about this case. Uh, that's really? what his name was. was yeah. The Southside Stranglers. Yeah. So anyway, um, so the resources I used for this week's episode is I watched uh, the Born to Kill episode, the Forensic File episode, and then I watched a History Channel like. I don't know if it was like a show or a program, but it was called um, Early Implementation of DNA Forensic Science. Um, and then also I read up on Murderpedia, of course, because we love Murderpedia. They're great. <laughs> Give, donate money, please, to them. They're just like Wikipedia. They do take donations. Um, and the article on Murderpedia that I got, it didn't say who wrote it, but it basically was a review of the book called Stalking Justice, which is by Paul Moons. I think I'm saying that wrong, but it's M-O-N-E-S. Um, and it's about this case and about how, like, the first, this was, like, the first time DNA evidence was really brought in. Like, they literally had to, like, beg the judge to let the D- DNA evidence be considered evidence. Like, in It was, like, cutting because edge it was, yeah, because it was forensic so, science. Right. Like, it was so new that, yeah, like... Yeah, we'll get into it. Like quantum, quantum entanglement science. Yeah. Something like sounds like bullshit. Yeah, I think they like kind of didn't really know a lot about it. So I'm sure like, especially in the South, like everybody that was like interviewed in this, they're like literally, literally like those old Southern men, like deputy sheriffs that have been. They're like, we've seen some shit. I'm sure they were probably like, DNA, what is this? What in the hell, DNA? (laughs) Yeah, so this was just a really um, crazy case and really important one um, in the history of criminal law. So I just want to start off um, this case by saying I'm really sorry, you guys, that we didn't put out an episode last week. That was my bad. I hurt myself and still don't have full function of my right arm. Uh, So I apologize on this coming a little late. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. So (laughs) this is the case of the Southside Strangler. And for those of y'all that don't know, the Southside Richmond, Chesterfield. What's up? 804. So (laughs) let's go back. 
all the way back to 1984. Carolyn Ham was murdered in her home in Arlington, Virginia. She was raped, tied up, and hanged in the indoor entry into her garage. The body was found face down, nude. Her bathrobe was on the living floor. A piece of cord had been cut from the Venetian blinds. A knife was on the floor. Carolyn Ham was a lawyer living alone in the neighborhood where murder was rare. The case was... The case made a splash, sorry. And, um, oh, yeah, in Arlington? Yeah, so that... Yeah, so, like, the... Apparently was really crazy for... The, I thought Arlington was kind of sketchy, but I guess not. I mean, it's bougie now. It might have been kind of sketch kinda back bougie. in the day. Well, I think it was kind of bougie then, too, because that's what they kept saying. Like, oh, this never happens there. But I'm like, it's right outside of D.C. For those of you guys that don't know... So no, um, Arlington, Virginia is a suburb of DC, essentially, right? Yeah, it it's like right outside, right? Like city limits in DC, right. and it's like, from what I can tell, like even though it's right outside of DC, it seems to be kind of bougie, kind of like close knit, because like all the cops that investigated this, even in Arlington, you know, being outside of DC, they were all like shocked by this. Oh yeah, they had like kombucha in like '92. Yeah, so. Um, so anyway, this ca- case made a splash because that was so rare for this area that an arrest was actually quickly made um, and they can or they obtained the confession from the guy and they actually got a conviction. Um, turned out eventually that the confessor was innocent. Um, and this is the person that was the first to be exonerated from DNA evidence in the United States. But I'm sorry, I didn't write down his name. That's such a weird phenomenon, like how people just confess because... Of like the pressure and like well have you ever it, watched like the confession it, tapes where they force people into confessing like have you ever like done any research on the west memphis three case it's like the three goth kids from kansas or somewhere I, in the middle I, I of like, like if you're like waterboarding me like maybe but like i think well they like first of all they like put you in a like room and they don't let you sleep and they don't give you food so they use like tactics like that so that after like three days of questioning, you're like, I will say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, it's like uh, enhanced interrogation tactics. Yeah. It's what like, the CIA calls it, but it's yeah. like torture. And I'm sure, yeah. especially back then, I mean, this was 1984. Uh, I'm pretty sure the person they arrested for the crime, uh, I don't think he was African-American, but he definitely looked like a person of color. I don't know. So they probably were, you know, just like, they. the only evidence they had was that this guy was seen in the area. That's literally all of it. And they convicted him. And he was actually sentenced to 35 years, but he only served five because of this. And then he was exonerated. Um, so he was like out of place, you know. He was in, in the like same a, neighborhood. He got yeah. witnessed around the same time of the crime. And they were like, oh, you did it. And then basically just battered him into a confession. And you can actually watch his confession wow. tapes online, too. Um, and stuff like that. That was what's crazy about it, too. Because, like, when I read this, the first, like, a lot of different articles say different things, leave out different details. And they were just like, oh, you know, somebody else was convicted. And then, like, other articles would be like, somebody else confessed to the crime. Like, no, if you fucking torture somebody, and, like, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but, like, if you put pressure on somebody, you shouldn't just lead the, the whole thing with, well, he confessed. Well, no, he didn't confess. You badgered him into a confession, and you got the wrong person, which led to several more rapes and several more murders. So, go you. Anyway. <laughs> Rant over. (laughs) (laughs) This murder followed a series of rape. Uh, This okay, so this murder that happened in 1984. The year before, there was a series of rapes in Green Valley, Arlington, which is a neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia, in 1983. From a they called it the Black Mask Rapist, is what I saw. 
um, in a lot of articles. And then I just saw people calling him the masked rapist. But I'm like, I don't feel like that's a name. I feel like that's just people describing that they were raped by a person in a mask. But I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a really generic. Yeah, like I was like, I don't you know, think that's title. like a calling card. But anyway. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so there the are a bunch man of, with a hat. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> what? Um, so uh, there were a bunch of these serial rapes in 1983 in the same neighborhood by a mass rapist. So he never got caught. So they have no idea who committed those rapes. They don't have any suspects and they don't have any persons of interest, right? So um, the MO and these rapes were extremely similar to the murders. And so through this, but like that link wouldn't be recognized for like years. Like if they had gone back and been like, hey, let's look at serial or let's look at like sexual assaults in the same area. They would have found this, but they just like didn't think of the connection back then. So like eventually they do, but it takes like years and years for them to get to that point. But we'll come back to that later um, and we'll go into that. All right. So that was 1984 um, that Carolyn Ham died. And then, then three years later, an extremely similar murder took place in the same neighborhood. So on December 1st, which just for reference, this was... Thanksgiving Day weekend. So on December 1st, 1987, Susan Tucker was found dead lying across her bed. She was nude, partially covered by a sleeping bag. She'd been dead for several days. Rope cuts, the ropes cut from the Venetian blinds were tied around her arms and neck. She was raped and strangled. There were other similarities to the first scene. Multiple semen stains were found at each, indicating that the killer had masturbated over both of the bodies. In each case, the killer broke into the home through a first floor rear window, and each victim's purse was dumped out on the premises, which was the premises was also partially ransacked, um, mm. but nothing was taken. So it was like, looks like. Oh, to kind of cover up or like, like create a false motive? I have or, a theory. I don't know. Or like, was he just hungry for a granola bar? I think that his intention was to rape and kill these women because he had escalated so far to this point. But we learned that he does have a history of burglary, too. So it might have been a little bit about that might have been like maybe he was looking for something or maybe he was he dumped out the purse to look for a trophy. But he also was a burglar. But these crimes were not burglaries gone wrong. He he did these to stalk and rape and torture and kill these women. Okay, so yeah. he's a triple threat. Yeah, he's, he's a, a fucking piece of shit. Piece of work. Yeah. So anyway, uh, shout out to the BSU um, for those of you that aren't as true crime nerdy as I am. The BSU is the behavioral Anal- or behavioral science unit, um, which is like what the show Criminal Minds is based off of. Oh, um, okay. Those who fight monsters is a book written by the guy that started that. Mine Hunter. That was the other guy that started it. They worked together. Um, so for those of you that don't know, that's the BSU. So anyway, the BSU helped with the profile for this, um, but because serial killers at that time in the 80s were thought to be predominantly white men, so they thought for a really long, like one of the problems was that they thought they were looking for a white man, but the man was actually African-American. So the discovery of hair, the crime scene, um, finally pointed to African-American because they could tell like, like African-American, Caucasian and, like, one other thing from, like, your hair, mongoloid mm. or something. Um, okay. They can tell that from your hair. So they can tell, like, those three distinctions. Okay, so in the court, so even though they didn't, like, have DNA specific, they had enough, like, my hair's at that point. Oh, shit. So in the course of a remarkably thorough investigation, 
Sound effect. Sound effect. So, in the course of a remarkably thorough investigation, the detective assigned to this new case, Joe Horgus, which Joe Horgus, the detective from Arlington, I am in love with. Like, he is so, the stuff he did on this case is so freaking brilliant. I'm like, how would you even think of doing that? Like, he's just, like, such a seasoned vet. Shout out to him. Um, also. Like, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Also, well, he's just, yeah, he just, like, had really good instinct and stuff. And, um. Uh, if you want to check out any of the, if you just go into YouTube and type in Timothy Wilson Spencer, the Southside Strangler, um, this detective is on like as a talking head in all the crime shows. Like they, they he's like open for interviews on all of them. And so, um, yeah. But anyway, so him, so he turned up, so because he's a freaking genius, he starts like digging through stuff, right? And this is before the internet. This is before computers and all that stuff. And he turns up that three more similar murders occurred over a hundred miles away in Richmond, Virginia. So for those of you guys that don't understand, Arlington, Virginia is like outside of DC. That's Northern Virginia. And then Richmond's kind of like smack dab in the middle of the state, like to the Southern point, that's the capital. So these, a big problem with getting these links were, was the fact that they were a hundred miles away from each other. You know, this was like pre internet, pre social media, all that stuff. So that was like one of the issues they ran into in this case all right so let's jump to the so that was the arlington murders let's jump into the richmond murders so the richmond murders began in 1987 mm. the first was discovered on september 19th the victim debbie debbie davis lived alone in a first floor apartment her hands were tied she was strangled slowly this is a really fucking brutal part by a, a sock tied around her neck and then twisted with Twisted tight with like a length of pipe, so he like oh god, the pipe yeah, to do that. yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like a sock wouldn't be that strong, but I guess yeah, it's fabric. Yeah, there were also multiple semen stains. Um, so trigger warning: I'm gonna get into this sadistic fucks Emma. So what he would do was he would break in and like ri- like was breaking in to rape these women and torture them. And so what he would do is he would make a tourniquet out of stuff like that. I don't think that's how you're supposed to sit. I don't know if it's technically a tourniquet. It's not a garrot because a garrot has two ends with like something you wrap it around. What he was doing was like making things into weapons, but was like, yeah, so he stuck a pipe so he could twist it. But the fucked up thing that, is that he would do was he would kill them over like a long period of time. So he would twist them to the point where they would pass out and like think they were dead and they would come to and he would like pretty much masturbate over their bodies like during this time. And then they would wake back up and then he would torture them again by like strangling them again to the point where they would pass out. So this guy was a sick fuck. Um, also, um, so there's multiple semen stains found at the scene, but this was, like I said, early eighties. They didn't, uh, they didn't know that DNA, like they didn't understand DNA. So they think that the reason he was so willy nilly about the semen stuff, because he was, like, they had no evidence on this guy. Like, he was a seasoned burglar. Yeah, this was, like, the 80s? Yeah, this was 87. Uh. So, he was a seasoned burglar. Like, he, this guy, Timothy Wilson Spencer, grew up in Arlington, and he had been slowly escalating since his childhood. Like, breaking and entering arson, the whole thing. So, yeah, sorry. I was just going off on a little tangent, but we'll get into that, too. So, all right. So that happened. That was September 19th. 
Okay, two weeks later, and only half a mile away, Dr. Susan Hellmans, who worked at MCV, or for those of you not familiar with the Richmond area, uh, the Medical Center of Virginia, um, was found dead in her bedroom closet. Her hands were tied, she was strangled with her own belt, and there were several semen stains. The third murder took place in a Richmond suburb. 15-year-old Dane Chow was murdered in her bedroom while her brother and her parents slept nearby. Her hands were tied. She was strangled with a piece of rope. A piece of duct tape was placed across her mouth to keep her from crying out. She was raped. And there were semen stains on the sheets. Her whole entire family was home during this time. <laughs> Sorry for that awkward pause, you guys. We had to take uh t.o because my dog was uh sexually harassing christopher not the first time not the first time he loves to lick you just only during recording i know it's like he wants attention or something i don't know where he gets (laughs) it from so in connection with the murders that were so widely spaced detective horgus made a difficult logical connection horgus faced tremendous hurdles in convincing his colleagues in arlington and in richmond that the cases were connected the unwillingness to see such connections is called linkage blindness and also is a major obstacle to serial murder investigations everywhere part of what makes it so insidious is that the objections raised by skeptical detectives were not entirely unreasonable horgus made two other connections his colleagues found hard to swallow. He realized that a series of burglaries in the same neighborhoods as the murders and string of rapes in each city were all committed by the same men who killed the five women. So not only is he, like, now trying to, like, say, like, hey, I think this murderer in Arlington is the same one in Richmond, but I also think it's the same one that did a bunch of rapes that were that was never caught and a bunch of burglaries, too. So, like, these cops are like, oh, fuck, like, like, serial killers are like, bad press for your city. So oh, yeah. I, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of them aren't, you know what I mean? They don't want to make it public or they don't want to know. But, like, I was actually really, like, a lot of, like, these stories really make me upset because of the shoddy police work that a lot of them, you know, have where somebody keeps slipping through their fingers and they allow somebody to come out and, like, continue to assault women. And in a sense, that did kind of happen here. But... The police that were on this were so on. Like, to make these connections is just, like, mind-blowing. Like, I don't know how he did it. Yeah, does it, like, talk about the actual factors that, like, he used to link these crimes? Yeah, so um, the Richmond murders, I don't think Arlington had put together that it might be a serial killer because they only had two victims at that point. But Richmond, after the third body, was like, we have a fucking serial killer. And so, like, it made, like, the news and stuff. And so that's... And Richmond was, like, a murder capital for a while. Yeah, that was, was like... One it was of kind the, of a big deal, yeah. That was one of the things that really pissed me off about, like, a lot of the documentaries and stuff I watched. Like, everybody they interviewed, like, from Richmond was like, oh, it's just such a sleepy little city, you know? We had gang violence, but that was in the cities where nobody went. Like, no, Richmond was a fucking shit show. Like, it was a shit show when I moved there in, like, 2008. Oh, yeah. 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 There's like a contest to see who get the first murder of every, like every New Year. Like murders spike at on January 1st. You know, is it midnight. fireworks or is it a gun? Yeah. That's our favorite game. It's so <laughs> All right. So, so he's trying to convince everybody, right? He's trying to get everybody on his page. And like, I can see the obstacles there, you know, but he's so smart. Anyway, 
It wouldn't break in. Someone entered a woman's house through a basement window when no one was home. He spent some time in the home, and then when the the, the woman came back, she found the burglar left a porno mag and a length of Venetian blind cord on her bed. In hindsight, it's easy to see that he was waiting for her to come home, at which point he intended to rape and probably kill her, but at this time, the connection, so they just, you know, reported as burglary, and they're like, oh, that's mm. weird that he left his porno mag here. Yeah, because this guy was... By re-interviewing the rape victims, Detective Horgus was able to trace the development of the rapist methods from early, clumsy, often unsuccessful abductions off the street to in-home attacks where his control of the victims was far surgier. Horgus found that over time, the rapist methods became more refined and resembled the murders more and more. So we see, like, a clear, like, escalation through this. Like, he starts out with, like, a troubled youth arson pulling pranks in school burglary like you just see like this i mean like when he was caught he was only 25 this guy was only and one of the rapes a woman had awakened in the early very early morning by a black man wearing a ski mask he threatened her he taunted her he made her drink southern comfort this can be recognized as a bizarre equivalent in the attack in the mind of the attacker of something that might occur on a date he tied her up for three hours and raped at the time that he produced a length of rope that presumably would have been used to strangle her. The woman's upstairs neighbors heard crying and came to investigate. The rapist left quickly. In the fourth Arlington rape, he put tape over his victim victim's mouth, just like what occurred to murder victim Diane Cho, and tied her up. She escaped as he began cutting cord. We have several rapes. It's clearly an escalation. He keeps getting caught, keeps getting interrupted. He keeps mm-hmm. trying. So, putting it all together. Orgus recalled a case with Timothy Spencer as a suspect for burglary in Green Valley when Spencer was just a juvenile. When Hor- So that's another crazy thing about this. is Orgus was a detective when this dude was younger and was a juvenile and was doing other burglaries. And he was the reason he thought about him was like, who do I know in this neighborhood that's like an offender? He was like that kid that was a juvenile, but he couldn't remember his last name. He could only remember his first name, Timothy. So for years, he knew who the guy was and just couldn't remember a name to like look him up and like see where he was now. So So that, yeah. So that to me blew my mind. I'm like, how crazy is it that you remember a juvenile offender that you went because he got caught for a It turned out to actually be It turned out to be, yeah. yeah. Like, I love Horgus. He's seriously a great man. He should write a book. Uh, So anyway, so... Horgus recalled a case with Timothy Spencer as a suspect for burglary in Green Valley when Spencer was a juvenile. So he, when Horgus put Spencer's name into records, okay, so he finally, okay, so he only knew his first name for a really long time, and then sorting through Timothy's, which we know is a very common name, and I'm sure in Northern Virginia is super, especially in Arlington, is very common too. So he's looking that way. He finally came across his name, and he was like, oh, fuck, Spencer, that's the last name. So when he put Spencer's name into a record search, Let's keep in mind, this is the 80s. They didn't have internet. It wasn't, you know, super simple or anything. So I guess he, like, put in his information because he was an offender from that county. So he had district, or he had a... Yeah, record, like a county Yeah, he record. had, like, record, yeah, like county yeah. records of him or whatever, right? So, so when he puts his name in the research, or it's this record search, he sees that he was in prison after the first murder and then released in Richmond in a halfway house, um... Wait, he was in prison for Okay, for so what? okay, so for... check this out. So check this out. 
So the rapes happened in 83, right? So that's like the slow escalation. The first murder happened in Arlington in 84, right? Okay. The next murder that happened was also in Arlington, but three years later. So that was another thing. They were like, why would he take a three-year dip? He was probably in prison. So when they put his name into the system and saw that he had just gotten out of prison for the burglaries, it coincided with the dip in the murders. There were no murders for Uh. three years. Coincided. And then he got, okay, listen to this shit. Not only does it coincide with the date that he got out of prison, but he was in a halfway house in Richmond where you, I don't know if you've ever done any time, Christopher, but uh, when you're on the, the halfway house, you gotta gotta sign in and sign out. Oh, so there's a so record he has a fucking of his coming log. and going. Yeah. He has a log of his comings and goings, and they coincide perfectly with all the murders and all the time. Not only that, but he put in paperwork to get a furlough from the halfway house to have Thanksgiving with his mom in Arlington when the second murder occurred. Literally, he put in paperwork <laughs> to be like, hey, I'm going to be in Arlington. Go see my mom. mom yeah, you might have like, mom, checked in on his Facebook. Mom, it's like, guess, so, how, guess how far yeah. his mom lived from the murder scene? Half a mile. Half a fucking mile. How did you know that? I don't know. I guess, Half I a fucking guess. mile. Half a fucking mile. All right. So, so, yeah. So the pieces are coming together, right? They're like, oh, shit. Like, all oh, the shit's coming together. So... Now, that almost seems like a setup. It's like too perfect. It's too perfect. Yeah. Right? Okay. So they compared the murders to the serial... Okay. Yeah. So they compared the murders to serial rapes. They found that they had similar MOs. And then Richmond police um, compared their notes. So at this point, Richmond's on board to work with Arlington, which doesn't always happen. Um, a lot of people that listen to a lot of true crime or know a lot about crime know that like a lot of people don't want to share the glory. It's one of the things with the FBI. Everybody's like, they want to take all the fucking credit. So, mm-hmm. like, at, especially during this time, um, it was very competitive. And, like, they didn't want, like, another, like, county to take their, like, you know what I mean? Like, they they didn't want to be like, oh, you're going to catch. I don't want to work with you to catch a serial killer. We're going to take You know what I mean? Like, they want all the glory for themselves. I kind of get it, but it's kind of fucked up that you're putting Yeah, but risk. that's, like, literally, <laughs> if you go back into, like, Especially the serial killers of, like, the 70s. You would literally, like, shit a brick. But anyway, like I said, I love Detective Horgas. He's fucking rad. Okay. So, compare... So, compared the murders to the serial rapes with similar M.O.s, and then compared notes with the Richmond police about their serial killer killers. The similarities, like, just to give a recap, is, like, both of the... The M.O. was that they entered through windows... There was no fingerprints at any of the scenes. All the scenes were wiped down. The crime scenes look, were staged to look like burglaries, but nothing was taken. Um, and then they compared the semen samples from the rapes and the murders, and they were a match from the Arlington crimes to the Richmond crimes. So they were able to compare the semen samples from both, and they were like, boom, this is our fucking dude. Like, that was like a DNA test, or did they just like look at it with a microscope? And Okay, so... It's like a little bit of everything. Like, so to compare, not to get a conviction. The conviction was like the DNA. Like, this can only be like one in a hundred million people. But like the preliminary stuff, like the DNA, like during the early killings, still wasn't there yet because like he didn't get charged until like later in the late eighties. So like they were able to tell your blood type. So like one of the women that was murdered. 
um, they pulled a blood sample off and they knew her blood type and her husband's blood type because they were different. Okay. And then the blood type that they found was didn't match to either one of them. So they knew that their serial killer was this third blood type, which was O, which is like the universal, I think. Oh, yeah. O is pretty rare, too. Right. So, so, yeah. So he was O. So, like, at first, that's how they compared them. But the uh, the actual, like, conviction when they went to trial and all that stuff, that was the, like, super intense DNA. Like, you, it's, you only have one in 180 million chance to match somebody. Like that. Um, oh, and up until this point, it was, it was using blood type and stuff like that. Um, so the gap in murders, like I said, from 1984 to 1987 is what led police to believe that their suspect was probably in prison, which helped them narrow down the search. Um, and, you know, Arlington, um, the Arlington detective, um, looked into suspects who were arrested after Carol Hans murder in 1984 and then were released in 1987 because that's when the murder started again. So Arlington and, Ar- and the Richmond police, uh, looked through the way that they found it is they looked through probation and parole reports. Um, so they were like, who the fuck got paroled? What year did they go in? All that stuff. Um, so anyway, the man eventually arrested for the fur, the, for the four, 1987 murders and implicated in the 1984 murder was Timothy Wilson Spencer, a small time convicted burglar who had a secret life as the most sadistic of rapists. His years of experience of breaking into houses gave him the skills to stalk and approach the women he killed without being seen. Repeated rapes taught him how to control his victims and gave him a taste for escalating brutality. The time period between the murder of Carolyn Hands and those that came later in the geographical gap from Arlington to Richmond, inconsistencies that were considered by most to be weakness in Horgan's theory that the cases were all connected resulted in resulted from a prison term Spencer did for burglary, and when he was released, he was put into a halfway house in Richmond. Though the time and location and sequence of various crimes could be shown to fit, shown to fit Spencer's activity, that wasn't enough to get a conviction. It wasn't even enough to convince other detectives that Horgus was right on track, and they were they were more used to criminals who specialize who were specialized burglars who avoided contact with the people whose homes they robbed, rapists who attacked in alleys or parks and left their victims alive. A rapist burglar murder was beyond something beyond any of their experience. It was the DNA evidence mentioned in the subtitle and other extremely thorough lab work that clinched the case. All Richmond victims. Also, which I forgot to mention earlier, they were all linked by the Cloverleaf Mall. And Wait, the what? Remember the Cloverleaf Mall in Chesterfield that they tore down? Like when we, like when I was going to BCU, like it was there when I moved there. <gasps> oh yeah. And okay. also, fun fact, it's also the inspiration for the cartoon Doug. Like the cartoon Doug on Nickelodeon is based off of Oh, shit, for real. Yeah, and that's why their mall is the Clover Mall, because it's based off of living in Chesterfield. All this stuff. That the guy that created it's from there. Fun uh, fact. So thank anyway, you for that random fun fact. I know, I'm sorry. The, well, nice. well, the random <laughs> fact was that it's believed they... So, they want to find out, like, why he picked his victims or whatever, and all the victims were linked to the Cloverleaf Mall because they all lived near there and they all went there often. And he would just leave the halfway house and sit at the mall for hours and just stalk these women and like pick out his victims. So these weren't just like random burglaries gone wrong. Like oh, uh, we would kind of like watch right. their patterns of behavior. Yeah, I think a lot of it was speculation though because it varied from each thing I read about it. But 
Um, one detective had a theory that he would um, pick his victims out at the mall and then he would like follow them around the mall and follow them around the stores and then follow them home and then like figure out when the best time was to break into their houses. But like I said, I think that's speculation because I only heard it put like that in one out of like five sources. So anyway, let's fast forward to the end, the trial. Spencer's first trial date was in July of 1988. He was charged with the murder of Suzanne Tucker. He was convicted with DNA evidence, the first case in Virginia in which DNA was used to prove identity and sentenced to life imprisonment, also the first. At a series of trials in 1988 and 89, Spencer was found guilty of raping and murdering Debbie Davis, Diane Chow, and Susan Hellmans and sentenced to death. He was executed on April 27, 1994. In court. That was a pretty quick turnaround. I thought you'd be on death row for like well, seven. Well, this was back in like the 90s where they were like, fry them and ask questions later. <laughs> we um, ain't got no time. But like a really disgusting fact they said about him and trial. So um, they said through like, uh, what's it called? Where you're, oh, interrogation. They said through interrogation right. trial, he just like stone faced was like, nope, nope, wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me. And the only thing that gave him away in trial is when they showed pictures of the crime scenes, he would, like, bend out of his way to, like, see. So fuck that, dude. But anyway, that's, uh, that's, uh, the case of Southside Strangler that I didn't know from our, uh, stomping grounds. Because you're from Northern Virginia, and we lived in Richmond, and first Yeah, it, it, I don't know why, but it always, like, hits, like, closer to home. When it's close to home, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's weird. Um, also, just want to give a quick shout-out to the book Stalking Justice by Paul Moans. The dramatic true story of a detective who first used DNA testing to catch a serial killer. I think I mentioned that at the top of the show, but I just wanted to mention it again because it's a really awesome book and has really awesome reviews, and you guys should check it out. It's a very interesting read. Not that I read it yet. Yeah, it's just like, I always like think about like how much pressure must be on like a detective. Like, like if Especially I, when a whole city's in panic. Yes. Yeah. Like, like if I fuck up at work, like the company will lose money potentially or like, you know, yeah, like, a, like a deadline gets pushed. But like, oh. Like, yeah, I mean, it got to the point where it was so bad that all the hardware stores in Richmond were running out of locks and deadbolts, so they were advising women to nail their windows shut because that's how bad it had gotten. Yeah, because they had no. I mean, the the crate the the one of the biggest reasons I'm really pushing everybody to check out that book is because it goes into much further detail about like hit like um, Spencer's like life and like you can see like the clear escalation. Like it started off with like. Him not being very good at school. He didn't like school. So he pulled pranks. So he'd like shit and piss in the hallways and think it was funny. And then he like got kicked out of school. And then his first real big run in with the law when he was a juvenile was because he set a fucking car on fire, which we all know arson is part of the McDonald triad, which is a theory that if somebody possesses the three traits of the McDonald triad, they have a, liar, a higher likelihood of becoming a serial killer. Yeah, it's weird. Like a lot of kids like fire. Like, you know, fire. yeah, fire. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I ever even considered setting a fucking car on fire, even when I was yeah. like fully stupid at 13. Yeah. So even know. after that, and like, it was really sad too, because like his, not that I give a fuck about this piece of shit, but like his, they interviewed his brother and like his brother, like 
He's like, yo, my brother taught me how to ride a bike and all this shit. And, like, if you told me, you know, like, he robbed somebody, he burglarized a house, yeah, he'd always been a thief. But I never, ever thought that he would be a killer or a rapist. And it was just, like, really sad because, like, him and his mom went to their execution. Like, can you imagine going, like, not that I have sympathy for this person, but have empathy for the people he affected, which includes his family members, and they had to watch his execution. Like, would you go to your son's execution? I can't believe his mom even went. I wouldn't have fucking gone. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be an element of guilt, too. Like, how did I not see this? How, well, like, she had to have seen it. Yeah. I, like, I don't, I don't know, like, the details of, like, their upbringing, because I didn't read that book. But, I mean, both their parents were, like, educated. They went to college. They lived in... Northern Virginia. They live in Arlington, which is a really nice area of D.C. And his brother didn't end up like that. Like, his brother is, like, a normal fucking dude. You know what I mean? Like, it, it does make you think, like, what? And it's, like, it's such a clear progression, too, because you see him, um, like, even when he was, like, burglarizing houses and stuff, um, he started including, like, sexual aspects of that. Like, the porno mag and leaving the rope mm-hmm. on the bed. Or he would, like, take a shit in, like, their house and just leave it on the floor. I would, like, eat their food. Like, or would like jerk off like he just like you could see the escalation like he's just building and he's getting more into it he's getting more into it and the fact that the legal system let him fucking be freed for multiple burglaries after three years when he already he committed a murder and went to jail after his murder not for murder but because they caught him on the bullshit burglaries so like yeah you guys got a killer off the street but you put him right fucking back you know like so in that ways it's frustrating (laughs) But the really good police work um, from Hargis, like, seriously, blew my mind. Because, like, a lot of times it takes year. I mean, BTK killed for, like, 30 years before they caught him. You know, like, the fucking Golden State Killer, I mean, he wasn't caught until this year. I mean, he had, like, a 40-year reign of terror. So I am very impressed that they were able to uh, put the two jurisdictions um you know, work work so well together and stuff because you don't see that very often. Yeah, it's crazy how it really comes down to like one dude, you know, putting together the pieces. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, staying up late, you just know, yeah, checking out how, the files. How small is the chance that he just happened to have run into him when he was a juvenile? Like he he met he went to his house to take his fingerprints because he committed another burglary, which he wasn't convicted for that burglary, but it's speculated that he still did it. Maybe his fingerprints just weren't fine. But the thing is, is, like, he was able to evolve because he kept doing these burglaries. So he's getting better and better and better at, like, hey, what what gets me caught? Oh, I need to wipe down my... And, like, the reason that they think that, like, he was so careful about, like, wiping down, like, fingerprints and all that stuff, but, like, left as semen is because back then they didn't realize that DNA could be... Like, it, like DNA technology wasn't there yet. And, like, if it was, it was always associated with blood. So people didn't realize mm. that. It, so I don't think he realized that it could be like that. I, I guess. Like, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there was obviously <laughs> a sexual aspect to him doing that, like a desecration. But also, I don't think because he went so far out of his way to clean up everything. They didn't have any. They literally had no circumstantial evidence in this case, which is insane. It's usually vice versa. It's usually they have a fuck ton of circumstantial evidence and no DNA evidence. And this mm-hmm. one was the exact opposite. So pretty mon- monumental case. I mean. First one in U.S. history. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but the first case to convict with DNA evidence was in England in 1984, which was, or 
83, which was the year before all this. Which is also an interesting case, which I'll have to do one day. But yeah. Sorry, you guys, that that was such a bummer, but I was going to do a really cute, fun Halloween episode. <laughs> Jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, about jack-o'-lanterns <laughs> Black and cats. witches. Yeah, <laughs> and I hurt myself, so that kind of went out the window. And then I found out about this super fucked up case, and I mean, that, that's my... My old hometown. And especially because I'd never heard of it. I'm like, dude, the first D. But anyway, well, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, social media. Breaker. Breaker. Anchor. Spotify. Twitter. We're on iTunes. We're on it all. Um, Google Podcast. Pocket Cast. <laughs> Spotify. Shout out to everybody. Thanks so much for all your feedback. We know our mics are really shitty and our audio quality is shit, but we're working on that. It's going to get better. Hold tight um, and send us in your stories, your stories, your suggestions. Um, I love getting them, keep uh, curating them and saving them for a rainy day. So even if you send me something and I don't do it next week, doesn't mean that I'm not. Yeah. No, you've definitely been putting in the legwork. (laughs) It's fun. You're like a murder scholar. (laughs) It's so fun. Murderpedia makes it so easy. Also, give give money to Murderpedia and Wikipedia because they're also big helpers. And we will talk to you guys next week on Project MK Gotcha. Bye. (laughs) Bye.